Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast, where we take a behind-the-scenes intimate look at surgery from leaders in the field. Hey there, listeners, and welcome to Behind the Knife's Pediatric Surgery Journal Review Podcast. Today, we will discuss the workup and management of a patient with an ovarian mass and also a patient with an ovarian mass with concern for torsion. This is Amanda Jensen from Riley Children's in Indianapolis. I'm the current pediatric surgery junior fellow. Today, I have with me two very special guests. The first one, Dr. Brian Gray. Hey guys, I'm Dr. Brian Gray, and I'm the Pediatric Surgery Fellowship Program Director at Riley Hospital for Children. And I feel like I'm seeing ovarian masses in adolescents more and more these days. I'm Nisha, who is one of our general surgery residents at Indiana University. Hi, I'm Nisha. I'm one of the general surgery residents and currently living in Eldoret, Kenya, doing a global surgery fellowship through our AMPATH program. Whether you're a medical student, a resident, a pediatric surgery fellow, or an attending, we want you to have access to some of the most relevant articles in pediatric surgery. It's tough to stay on top of the literature. With this journal club, we bring these articles to you so that you are able to brush up on the literature in your own time and hopefully learn more about the topics that are important to your clinical practice and education. All right, Manisha, why don't you start us off? Thanks for the introduction, Amanda. Our goal for the next 30 minutes is to guide you through working up a patient with an ovarian lesion and understanding the data to support the process. One major challenge we face with ovarian lesions is knowing when it's safe to complete an ovarian sparing operation. The two main reasons to complete an oophorectomy are malignant tumors or a necrosed ovary. However, it's often the job of the pediatric surgeon or the general surgery resident to identify if either of those two conditions exist. Thanks, Manisha. We're going to review some of the pediatric surgery literature that focuses on ovarian masses. Our goals are to introduce a protocol to work of a patient with an ovarian mass and to choose the right operation for these patients, regardless of urgency of presentation. With the first article, we will discuss ovarian neoplasms and the importance of determining how likely the mass is to be malignant. This guides you to an ovarian sparing resection for a simple cyst or tumor marker negative heterogeneous lesion less than 10 centimeters, or an oophorectomy for solid masses or heterogeneous lesions with elevated markers. The paper we chose to discuss is important because doing an oophorectomy for benign disease unnecessarily increases the risk of premature ovarian failure and impaired fertility due to potential metachronous ovarian tumors or an asynchronous ovarian lesion. The goal of the first paper is to discuss a protocol that will help guide operative management and ultimately reduce unnecessary oophorectomies while ensuring appropriate oncologic operations are performed in the setting of malignancy. Amanda, why don't you start us off with a case? All right, so today we have a 13-year-old girl who presented with her mother to the Riley Emergency Department. She complains of lower abdominal pain. Menarche was at age 12, but her menstrual cycles are not yet regular. Her lab work was within normal limits and her imaging is concerning for a mass on the right ovary. Before we discuss the article, Manisha, what labs would you order in this patient as part of your workup of an ovarian mass? And what imaging would you obtain? Lastly, what's our differential and where would you go from here? This is a great topic because as general surgery residents, we don't regularly think about the differential diagnosis for pediatric ovarian masses. So for our initial workup, 
The labs I'd order are alpha-beta protein, beta-human chorionic gonadotropin, or beta-HCG, and inhibin B. Other tests uh, may include LDH, uric acid, inhibin A, CA199, and CA125. For imaging, it depends on the presenting symptoms in the emergency department. Normally, patients will get a KUB or an ultrasound for abdominal pain. With findings concerning for an ovarian mass on ultrasound, sometimes this will lead to a CT admin pelvis. So with our girl with an ovarian mass, our differential would include both benign and malignant ovarian pathologies. The spectrum includes simple cysts, such as cystadenomas, cystadenofibromas, mucinous cysts, teratomas, granulosa cell tumors, borderline tumors, germ cell tumors, and epithelial ovarian neoplasm. Amanda, where should we go from here? I think it's a wonderful time to review this article by Medensi and colleagues entitled Multicenter Preoperative Assessment of Pediatric Ovarian Malignancy. And this article was published in the Journal of Pediatric Surgery in September of 2019. And you can click on the link associated with this podcast to review this article in further detail. This was a retrospective review of patients less than 18 years of age at two different institutions. And to identify patients, the authors surveyed surgical pathology specimens that included ovarian tissue from 2013 to 2016. And this was over a four-year period. The primary outcome was final pathologic diagnosis of malignancy defined by the WHO. The authors reviewed imaging characteristics, tumor size, and lab markers. A total of 188 children with ovarian lesions were included, and the median age of presentation was 14 years of age, and the overall malignancy was 11%, or 20 of the 188 patients had a malignant tumor. What else did they find, Manisha? So the first thing they looked at was lesions by their imaging appearance. 13% of the children had simple cysts, 69% had heterogeneous lesions, and 34% had solid lesions. When reviewing the rate of malignancy and each lesion type by appearance, none of the simple cysts were malignant. Only 4% of the heterogeneous lesions were malignant. A majority of the malignant tumors were solid ovarian lesions, with 44% of all solid ovarian lesions demonstrating some malignancy. Due to these results, the authors highlighted that any simple cyst has a very low rate of malignancy and the patient can safely undergo an ovarian-bearing resection while the individuals with solid tumors had a high likelihood of cancer, and the surgeon should consider an oophorectomy. For the heterogeneous lesions, the authors further analyze these lesions by tumor marker analysis of alpha-fetoprotein and beta-HCG. And for all you listeners, please remember that these are important when thinking about ovarian germ cell tumors and stromal tumors, the most common being the teratoma. Patients with malignant tumors were more than 10 times as likely to have an elevated tumor marker. If a patient had a heterogeneous mass and elevated tumor markers, the authors recommended considering an oophorectomy. However, for those heterogeneous masses that had non-elevated tumor markers, authors considered diameter of the mass. Based on the UDIN index, a diameter of 10 centimeters could discriminate between benign and malignant, with the larger lesions being malignant. Those heterogeneous lesions that were greater than 10 centimeters had a 5% risk of malignancy. So what do you guys think about these results? Before we assess the generalizability of the algorithm, I think we should discuss the limitations of this study. The data for the study came from a retrospective review, so there's an inherent bias in the data. 
Similarly, all of the patients came from only two institutions, which are referral centers for their states. And lastly, the interpretation of the imaging relied on local radiologists. Though they likely followed the same guidelines, the same radiologists did not review images from both centers. That being said, the study provides a really great algorithm that's easy for people to follow, at least to begin the patient workup. The patient with a simple cyst, the surgeon knows that the surgery is necessary and ovarian sparing operations should be performed. For the non-urgent case, if the physician finds a heterogeneous mass, they can order tumor marker labs before deciding on the operation a patient may need. If the tumor markers were normal, the patient would benefit from an ovarian sparing operation. If the situation that the tumor markers are elevated, the authors recommended considering an oophorectomy. Manisha, if we decide there's concern for malignancy, what is a complete surgical staging that we need to do in the operating room? So for a patient with an ovarian mass, if malignancy is suspected, complete surgical staging should include collection of peritoneal washings and examination of multiple surfaces, including the peritoneal surfaces, retroperitoneal lymph nodes, omentum, diaphragm, liver surface, and the contralateral ovary. If anything does look abnormal, we should get a biopsy. All of these steps should be considered mandatory, regardless of the operative procedure undertaken. At pediatric surgery referral centers, this patient would probably be discussed further prior to deciding the operation. Occasionally, immature teratomas, which have a very low malignancy risk, can also present with elevated tumor markers. For this patient, the tumor board would allow the radiologist to review the imaging and identify any other concerning features of the primary or secondary lesions. Our tumor boards often involve multiple specialists. They would be able to identify if an ovarian preserving surgery could be performed. The authors recommended considering an oophorectomy for a patient with a solid mass. With only a 44% incidence in this population, these patients would also benefit from a multidisciplinary review. All right, so to summarize the results of this study, the proposed operative management is straightforward for simple cysts. They should undergo an ovarian sparing surgery. For solid masses and ovarian lesions associated with an elevated alpha-fetoprotein or beta-HCG, an oophorectomy should be considered. And in contradistinction, heterogeneous lesions greater than 10 centimeters with non-elevated markers carry an intermediate 5% probability of malignancy and warrant a multidisciplinary discussion among providers and the patient to weigh the risks and the benefits of an ovarian sparing technique. Please see this attached algorithm from that paper in the podcast for further review. Okay, so it sounds like our goal is to try to do an ovarian preserving surgery. So for our 13-year-old girl who presented with mild abdominal pain, normal vitals, and normal tumor markers, that's what she should get. She underwent a laparoscopic assisted ovarian mass resection that was ovarian sparing through a lower midline fan and steel incision. She also underwent complete surgical staging given the size on original imaging. Her pathology returned as a mature ovarian teratoma and peritoneal washings were negative. That's a really great review of an important paper, guys. Uh, One other consideration is your operative approach to these lesions with a high suspicion of being benign. You can certainly proceed through a classic fan and steel or low midline vertical incision, but you may want to alter your approach for patients with small cystic masses or alternatively, those patients with particularly large cysts. For the small lesions, an experienced laparoscopist can do the bulk of the operation laparoscopically. You can completely separate the mass from the ovary and remove the mass through an endo pouch type device. 
For the benign cystic masses with a large cystic component, you can often drain the cyst through a control maneuver by bringing the cyst wall up to the abdominal wall, either at the umbilicus or the prepubic area. What you do is you dry up the cyst wall and then you affix a thousand drape or some other kind of sterile surgical drape to the abdominal wall with something like Dermabond. Then you make an incision through your thousand drape and into the wall and control all the cyst fluid by draining it externally. This allows you to drain the cyst and then you can send the cyst fluid for cytology in a very controlled manner with minimal spillage into the abdomen. Then what I do is I close the cyst wall with some sutures, and then you can remove the cyst wall from the ovary, either through a small incision uh, in the prepubic area or on the umbilicus, or you can even drop it into the abdomen and remove the cyst completely laparoscopically. Uh, this will allow you to keep smaller incisions and limit the pain that patient experiences. And as we all know, we keep the operation laparoscopic. That allows the patient to get out of the hospital even sooner. All right, that makes sense? Great. So let's shift gears for a minute. Let's say you have a 13-year-old adolescent who presents with excruciating pain in the right lower quadrant with nausea, vomiting. She gets an ultrasound. You know, they're looking for her appendix or maybe an ovary, and they find a unilaterally enlarged edematous ovary with a peripheral mass and free pelvic fluid. Additionally, the Doppler fluid of the ovary is decreased compared to the contralateral ovary. Manisha, what do you think we should do here? Oh, this sounds bad. It sounds like she has ovarian torsion. I want her to take her to the operating room, but I'm not sure what to consent her for. Let's look at our next paper. It may help with my decision-making. With this journal review, we chose to discuss ovarian torsion in pediatric and adolescent patients, a systematic review. This was done by Descopta et al. and was published in the Journal of Pediatric Surgery in July 2018. Go ahead and click on the link below to go to the journal article. The authors did a systematic literature review looking at all publications that included the mesh terms ovarian torsion, ovarian preservation, and fertility. Through the review, the authors were able to create a list of recommendations, primarily focused on when to perform an ovarian sparing procedure. The first recommendation focused on the risk of pulmonary embolism after ovarian torsion. There's this theoretical risk of a PE because of inflammatory markers increasing, but the literature has no case of thromboembolic events that's associated with ovarian detorsion. So the authors concluded that the risk of PE should not influence the operative decision-making, meaning this shouldn't be the only reason you perform an oophorectomy in patients with ovarian torsion. Amanda, why don't you tell us about some of the other recommendations? All right, so for the second recommendation, this one really focuses on malignancy. The authors reviewed 10 articles to understand the risk of malignancy if an oophorectomy is not performed for ovarian torsion. They found a malignancy risk of 0.4% to 5% in the ovaries that were resected. And from the literature, they concluded that the surgeons should not perform an oophorectomy for concern of missing an occult malignancy. The ovaries should be examined during the operation prior to making a decision. The third recommendation assessed the benefit of an oophoropexy. 11 articles were reviewed and summarized that pexying the ovary does not reduce retorsion risk and may have a negative impact on fallopian development or fertility due to alterations in anatomy. The fourth recommendation focused on using the gross appearance of the ovary to guide the procedure. And the authors reviewed nine case series that looked at the correlation of ovarian function and gross appearance of the ovary. In six of the studies, at least 96% of the 
of the ovaries demonstrated follicles after surgery. And in three studies in which patients underwent oophorectomy for a presumed necrotic ovary, all of them had viable ovarian tissue on pathology. Thus, the authors determined that the gross appearance of the ovary does not correlate with the current or future capacity to develop follicles and should not be used as the sole indication for an oophorectomy. All right, Manisha, why don't you summarize the remaining recommendations? The last two recommendations just reiterate how strong the ovaries truly are. The authors reviewed eight articles to understand the follow-up for patients who underwent ovarian detorsion. The recommendation was patients should undergo an ultrasound three months after their ovarian detorsion to assess for either blood flow to the ovary or presence of follicles. Most of the ovaries appeared to function nearly normally in adults after detorsion, with patients having successful pregnancies and live births. So all of our patients benefit from ovarian preserving surgeries. Okay, so what we're saying is these six recommendations can be summarized into one concluding statement. Pediatric patients who present with ovarian torsion should predominantly undergo detorsion. Fortunately, the blood supply of the ovary is quite strong and allows follicles to survive. Really, I can only think of about two scenarios in which I would remove an ovary due to torsion at the time of surgery. One would be if the ovary is so necrotic that it isn't really even attached to its blood supply anymore. There's a certain clinical feature that at times we see where the ovary has been torsed for quite a while and is just hanging out by itself in the abdomen, not attached to anything else. And that is called the peritoneal mouse. If you see a brown necrotic ovary sitting in the abdomen, not attached to anything, sometimes it looks like a little mouse and you can remove it. There have been a couple uh, case reports about this, so you can Google that the next time you're looking for something fun to do. Uh, The other situation is if you have peritoneal studying that is very diffuse and appears to be like carcinomatosis, you could take a frozen section of one of those pieces of peritoneal studying. And if it does come back with what appears to be malignant ovarian lesion, you could then discuss with a family about proceeding with an salpingo-ophorectomy at the time. This would be the very rare circumstance. So in general, this is another great article to review, but let's talk about how we can generalize these conclusions. It's very hard in these small pediatric studies and these small series to make very generalizable statements. And if you read this article, you can see that the level of evidence for any one of the articles is not very high. In particular, we look at these risk for pulmonary embolus, which seems to be quite low, but we really don't have large studies to look at it. And then additionally, looking at malignancy. Overall, as we discussed, the rate of malignancy is low. Even if the tumor is concerning, the best course of action is still to detorse it and leave the ovary in place. You can still do your staging in regards to peritoneal fluid sampling and examining the rest of the abdomen, but leave the ovary and do not need to biopsy it due to risk of tumor spillage in the case of actual malignancy. Once the edema from the ovary is resolved, you can complete your additional imaging workup and have a discussion with the family regarding potential second look operations for ovarian sparing mass resection versus oophorectomy. So let's recap. Amanda, please tell us the main points regarding working up an ovarian mass. All right. So from the first article, when working up a child with abdominal pain, nausea and vomiting, and imaging demonstrates findings concerning for an ovarian mass. In addition to imaging, it is important to obtain tumor markers. These should include alpha-fetoprotein and beta-HCG and inhibin B. Again, alpha-fetoprotein, beta-HCG, and inhibin B. And some centers will also obtain LDH, uric acid, inhibin A, CA-19-9, and CA-125. 
And in regards to the imaging itself, the most important part is to distinguish imaging characteristics of the mass. Is the ovarian mass a simple cyst? Is it solid or is it heterogeneous? If it is a simple cyst, you know what to do, an ovarian sparing approach. If it's a solid mass, oophorectomy should be considered. If the mass is heterogeneous, this is the population where tumor markers can really help determine your approach. If the tumor markers are elevated, an oophorectomy should be considered. And in those ovarian masses where the tumor markers are negative, if the heterogeneous mass is less than 10 centimeters, an ovarian sparing approach should be undertaken. In those with a heterogeneous mass greater than 10 centimeters, an ovarian sparing approach should still be undertaken. However, in this study, there was a 5% chance of malignancy and discussion should be done in a multidisciplinary fashion to weigh the risks and benefits of ovarian sparing techniques. All right, Manisha, summarize the takeaway points from our second paper. Sounds good. So in regard to ovarian torsion, there are six points, all summarized, like Dr. Gray said, into detorsing the ovary and waiting to see what happens. But number one, there's been no case of thromboembolic event associated in the literature, so the risk of a PE should not be the reason to perform an oophorectomy. Number two, the risk of the malignancy in the setting of ovarian torsion is quite low, so we should avoid performing an oophorectomy for the index operation even if the ovary appears abnormal. Number three, don't pexy the ovary. It doesn't actually reduce retorsion risk and may actually have a negative impact on the fallopian development or fertility due to alterations in anatomy. Number four, the gross appearance of the ovary doesn't correlate with current or future capacity to develop follicles and should not be used as the only indication for an oophorectomy. When we lumped number five and six together, we should ideally do an ultrasound three months postoperatively to assess for the presence of follicles or blood flow to the detorsed ovary, and the ovary appears to function nearly normally following detorsion. Thanks, Manisha and Amanda. Okay, listeners, what do you guys think? Do you agree with the findings published in these articles? My main takeaway from these articles was this simple toolkit. If you've seen a patient with an ovarian torsion or ovarian mass, first, obtain tumor markers, classify the ovarian mass, Try to determine the risk of malignancy and then consider ovarian preservation versus resection. The setting of ovarian torsion, always attempt to save the ovary. Hey, Manisha, what did the pediatric surgeon say to the general surgery resident when they saw a torsed ovary with a mass on the side of it? I don't know. What did they say? Don't overreact. Detorse it and leave it in place. But um. All right. <laughs> until next time, I'm Dr. Brian Gray from Riley Children's. <laughs> And I'm Amanda Jensen, Junior Fellow at Riley Children's. And I'm Manisha Bhatia, Global Surgery Fellow and General Surgery Resident at Indiana University. Until next time, dominate the day. Until next time, dominate the day.